Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Allez, il y a Malard, il y a Macario dans l'axe. Macario Oh, quel geste Quel geste exceptionnel de Katarina et Macario C'est magique Et d'une très très haute importance, le nouveau doublé pour Ada Egerberg. Welcome back to Upfront at the Euros. I'm Flo Lloyd Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. The group stages are done and the quarterfinal spots have been filled. Belgium are through to their first Euros quarterfinals at the expense of Iceland and Italy. Sweden and the Netherlands will join them, though we seem to disagree about how unlucky Denmark were. And brace yourselves, people, we're looking ahead to England's quarterfinal against Spain. Vamos! Let's start with Group D. Because Rachel and I have been in and around the northwest of England over the last two days, uh, two, three days, whatever it is now, I've lost track. Um, Rachel, let's do a travel check um, because you you are at a kind of a funky location. Um, give us a little update on your latest uh, accommodation situation. We are at a B&B just out on the outskirts of Sheffield. It is beautiful. Um, Bankview Farm, shout out. Uh, very, very nice rooms, very, very nice people. And they have alpacas and they have dogs and you're allowed to just go and see them and pet them and play with them. So having a ball, yeah. Are you going back there for the semi-final? No, I'm in like a travel lodge in Rotherham or no, somewhere. I cancel yeah. it, go I to know, the I farm. I want to stay here. <laughs> I want to live here. <laughs> Chloe, how about you? Where are you at? I'm in my hot, sweaty bedroom, mate. And Ooh, um, nice. yeah, there's no aircon. And if it wasn't for the fact of like pure decency for you guys, I'd be doing this podcast completely naked because I just <laughs> I'm allergic to clothes right now. It's so hot. That's Late night for you up all. front. That's for the that's for the special OnlyFans. Post nine pm. Subscribe. Oh to. my god. Um, I am in Manchester for the. I I ditched the Warrington Travel Lodge because I did think I was going to get murdered there after the. Uh, the latest Group C fixture. So I decided to drive into Manchester, stay in a hotel that I knew had aircon, uh, and I'd been here for two nights, which is such a luxury because I didn't have to pack up my stuff. I could just leave it on the floor, and it's currently on the floor next to me. Um, but let's but actually get to leave in, in 10 minutes. Yeah, I literally <laughs> have to check out in like 20 minutes, so it's going to be fun. Um, let's get stuck into the football um, because Group D finished yesterday. I was at Italy, Belgium. Rachel was at France, Iceland. They weren't exactly uh, kind of epics. I mean, that Iceland-France game finished one all, but it, there were two disallowed goals. He had a penalty in the in the hundred and second minute uh, because there was so much toppage time for all those various delays. Um, 
so it was one all in the end in that one and then Belgium winning uh one nil against Italy uh with a De, De Cagney goal uh which sends them through I can tell listeners already if you if if some of you were subjected to uh Italy Belgium it was not a classic um I think the heat played played a massive factor as it would the players looked exhausted they looked drained um you know Italy aren't the most fast moving uh quick ball playing team anyway in possession and Belgium don't offer a lot regardless and I think they just try and sort of like hit uh, hit teams on the break and surprise them but yeah it wasn't a classic but it eventually was was Belgium that got the breakthrough and Belgium went through to their first ever Euros quarterfinal so that deserves a massive shout out but I think for me the focus has got to be on an absolutely disastrous Euros campaign for Italy um I had them down as definitely getting through to the quarterfinals. They had some really good results and performances in the build-up to this tournament. We know that historically they're very well organised, but struggled to score goals, but that should have been enough. But from the first game to the last, they were absolutely all over the place, Rachel. Were you surprised that they didn't get out of this group? Yeah, definitely. Um, They looked... I mean, their first game was against France, which probably didn't help them getting absolutely battered. And they just never seemed to come back from that. Um, and I also found in that game, I think it was quite similar in your game, the substitutions were quite unusual. Um, you know, taking off some of their key forwards or, or midfielders when they absolutely needed goals, um, which I thought was an interesting approach. Um, I'm, I'm right in saying that, right? They took off some of their strikers yesterday when they needed two goals. Shirelli came off, I think, at about the 75th minute and she was not happy. She got dropped after the France game. She's obviously a very senior player, 32, played at major tournaments before with Italy, plays for Juventus. She got dropped after the France game, came on in the Iceland game, contributed to them getting that equaliser. Started yesterday, Sarah Gamma, who's the captain, centre-back, was dropped from the team. And I don't think it was because of injury, because she took part in the warm-up and everything. Um, so Girelli captained the side, and uh, she was huffing and puffing all game. She was so frustrated with her teammates. And then she came off around the yeah, 75th, 80th minute and was just kicking the ad board, was absolutely fuming at what had happened. I, I think, you know, she probably represented everyone for this tournament uh, in, in the whole setup and the fans as well. There was this guy who's obviously a diehard Italy fan, who I imagine has been at all their games, who was wrapped in an Italian flag and in his Italy shirt. And he was screaming by the by the ad boards, like over the ad boards, kind of where you would sit, Rachel, as like a photographer, like screaming. He, he was losing his mind at how his team were performing. And I think it was a disappointing night because, you know, there's a lot of Italians obviously in the UK, but I think quite a few had travelled over for this tournament. And um, yeah, poor showing all round. And I think there's going to be a lot of questions asked about where this team goes and... and their manager, Milena Bertolini, was already saying after the game, oh, the expectations were too high. Everyone thought, you know, maybe we'll even go and win this. People need to kind of like chill yeah, out. It was a bit of a disaster. <laughs> um, like nobody thought they were going to win it. Exactly. <laughs> no. Like, come on. We, we just expected you because the numbers, the rankings, you know, the form, the squad, everything points to you finishing runners up in that group. So that's how the form goes, you know. And... Italy are heading into the first season of having a domestic professional competition. The growth of this side has been fantastic. They got to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And Bertolini essentially said, oh, we overachieved at the World Cup. We took too many people by surprise and we can't sustain it. Now, when Kenny Shields says that for Northern Ireland, I might accept it because that is a fair enough comment. You've got a team of 
mainly semi-pros there who've been thrown into a full-time camp for a number of months and are expected to compete okay but I don't expect that with Italy what I love what I love though is you have these you have before a Euros like this you have these teams being like everybody's underestimating us nobody's speaking about this team nobody's speaking about that team so we speak about these teams and then they come into the tournament they're shit and they say well it's your fault you overestimated or overhyped us and you're like well <laughs> hang on <laughs> Italy's one of them yeah I think so um but let's talk about France, Iceland, because on the flip side, Iceland are a team that came agonisingly close and really, really should have been out of this group if they'd got the job done against Italy. Chloe, how must it feel if you're Iceland to know that such a massive opportunity for your country kind of slipped through your fingers in that game? I think, um, I mean, it was always a big ask for them coming into that game. Um, yeah, their last game of the group was obviously one of their toughest. Um, and credit to them, I think they put up a really, really decent performance. And I think it easily could have gone to a win for, for Iceland um, at, at points. And I think, um, you know, France definitely did their classic thing. They came at the game uh, in the first you know few minutes, absolutely full throttle, um, couldn't hold them back. It was like wild horses going towards that goal. And, you know, to get the goal uh, within, you know, 40, 44 seconds, I think it was, um, and I think then there was an expectation that there would be more goals coming. I mean, you're, you're statistically more than likely to, to score within the first five minutes again. Ask um, Kenny. Ask Kenny shit. Ask controversial Kenny. Um, but I just think there was so much passion from, from the Icelandic team and so many shots. There was a couple of shots from distance as well. So, um, yeah, I think it was a really good performance from them. And I think they could be really proud of themselves. But, yeah, disappointing to, to miss out on that that spot. Um, but, yeah, I think they've, they've overachieved, essentially, for a, a, you know, a FIFA-ranked team that they're 17th, I think, in the rankings. So credit to them. I actually think the early goal helped Iceland. Like, Obviously, you look at that and think that's the worst possible start, but they kind of had to say, fuck it, jackals are off now. We have to go for it. If we don't go for it, if we don't get at least a draw, we're not going through. And they threw everything at France. I was really impressed at how much they drove forward. Um, Jan Stottier hit the crossbar at one point early uh, early on in the first half. Um, you know, obviously, France had shots as well, but the resolute defending from the Icelandic players was incredible. And I only wish they'd played like that in the other two games of the of the, the group um, you know they would have beaten Italy they would have beaten Belgium had they put out in a performance like that um, so I do feel for them and I had I went round at the end of the game to film the Icelandic clap and this little nine-year-old stopped me and was like excuse me who, what was the score in the other game was it a draw and I had to tell her that her team was going home so that was quite a, a you are a heartbreaker ending. Rachel I know I was Why? like I was like I'm really sorry I was like Belgium won and she was like Oh, I was like, but your team played really well. <laughs> I mean, I think that 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 just sums up um, the impact I think Iceland have had in this tournament. It would have been so good to see them go through, but as a unit, as a as a fan base, as a group, I think they've been one of the best to watch. Um, you know, they've been such a such a joy. They've they've created so much atmosphere, especially going into this tournament where there was like so much talk about. And you know, then play well the stadiums they were going to be playing in, and and the like somewhat controversy around comments uh, around the the stadiums and fans. But I think, you know, they they've they've sold out most of their get group games. They've brought tremendous atmosphere and noise, and they nearly pulled off one of the biggest upsets of the whole competition. And I'm really excited to see what they do next. I just think that, you know, they're just missing that clinical finishing and that efficiency when they need it. Like you both said, like created plenty of chances across all three of their games. And in none of those fixtures were they embarrassed or dominated really for 
you know, 90 minutes. Like the Italy game, they should have won. The Belgium game, they probably should have won. So it, it's more like what might have been, but you can't help but think, oh, it, yeah, like you should have been where, where Belgium were last night, really. Yeah, I do feel like to think they went unbeaten. Like when you put it like that, they went unbeaten in the in the tournament. Not many teams have gone unbeaten, um, and not to make it through. It's just a, it's a shame. It's a real shame. I would have liked. I think their fans, the the Scandi and Nordic fans in general, have been unbelievable. And then you add the Dutch to that, you know. And it's just to see that in the game, it just elevates it even more. So I'm sad we won't see them go further. Yeah, women's football just hits different in Scandinavia. I think, you know, in England, we could learn a lot from just how good their fans are over in that part of Europe. Um, Let's go on to Group C. Um, Rachel and I were also there at one of those games. We were at Sweden 5, Portugal 0. I personally think that uh, Sweden were a little bit flattered in this game because uh, Portugal decided that they didn't fancy defending uh, corners like they've kind of decided most of the tournament that set pieces are uh, aren't particularly important as part of their game you can't plan. focus on everything Flo you Come can't on. I mean Chloe I've got to talk to you as a goalkeeper actually because there were some very interesting decisions made by the head coach Francesco Neto this tournament he's a goalkeeping coach so you'd think should be quite good at defending set pieces they conceded I I count this manually so I, I need to check you know I'd need to double check this, but on my calculations, I think they conceded six goals from set pieces across their three group games, which is pretty terrible. They changed their goalkeeper for this one. Uh, Neto obviously thought that was going to be the answer uh, with Pereira dropping out and Marai coming in. Uh, if It only probably made matters worse because they were absolutely all over the shop which is such a shame because they're actually really exciting going forward. But Chloe, as a goalkeeper, I mean, what the fuck is going on back there? <laughs> I, I, I don't think I could have put it any better myself, to be honest. Uh, what the fuck is going on back there would be exactly my sentiments. I think um, it was a, it was a disorganised mess. Um, I think no one was marking tight enough. They didn't feel prepared in any way, shape or form. They weren't learning from the previous mistakes of um, you know the set pieces that they'd already conceded from. Uh, they weren't clearing their lines. They weren't even... the first Even the first defensive line wasn't great. The second defensive line really wasn't great. And the third was just crap it was just coming back at them so, so. so what are they doing though what are they doing right because this is a conversation what are they doing I have. right no no what are nothing. what i mean what are they doing like nothing i know they're not doing anything right but this is a conversation i constantly have across the men's and women's game which is no one does man marking every anymore everyone goes for a zonal approach right and it drives fans mad but it's just the way the game has gone because a lot of coaches think it thinks think it's far more effective to zonal mark right but Portugal weren't doing either of those things by the by the looks of things. So what Chloe talk us through why zonal marking is the preference and also why it can go horribly wrong so easily like it has been doing for Portugal. I think zonal marking wise, you you know who exactly you're supposed to be picking up. I mean, you're responsible for that particular zone. So if something does go wrong, then it's immediately traceable back to you and you can try and rectify that and see what you weren't doing or whether there were blindside runs or whatever the hell it is. But I think um, for Portugal, I feel like you almost need to strip it back to basics and go back to just saying X has A. Y has B and then you just focus on that player no matter where they go you just follow them you become their best friend you pull on their shirt a little bit you I don't know dig your dig your nails in like all the little tactics that you don't see you gotta get mean 
Yeah, you do. You have to become a presence in the box. And I think it's um, I think for a lot of the opposition teams, they knew that that was one of the areas of weakness. So any kind of delivery into that box, they knew they were going to get a decent chance on. And that just became, you know, one of the biggest weaknesses for them um, because they didn't feel confident. They didn't feel aggressive. Um, they didn't feel a, a, there was no presence in them. You didn't feel like you were going to be hurt at all, like they were going to go up for a header and smash you in the face. There was just n none of that presence. And that's what you want, that aggressiveness to clear your bloody lines. Get it the hell away from my goal. Rachel, do you, have you seen enough from Sweden in in their games? I think we've both... I've been to two of their games. I think you might have been to all three of them. Yeah. What, have you seen enough for them to warrant the label that they had going into this tournament, which was Bookie's favourites? Like, they were the, you know, the, the bookmaker's favourites to win it. Have you seen enough? I think they're up there still. Um, I think they're still one of the favourites, but I do think... While we talked about the group of death being Germany, Spain, Denmark, Finland, um, I think they've had a very, very tough group. And I think they've had a lot of challenges, which is probably quite important in the group stages for them to be able to overcome as a team. Um, and I'm going to give them credit against in the Portugal game. I know that Portugal kind of just disappeared for any kind of set pieces, but I thought they were brilliant. I thought they'd put their foot on the gas. They were scoring goals left, right and centre. I think they had two, maybe three um, ruled out for VAR. So it could have been even more. And I think they probably needed that going into... Um, the next stage going into the quarterfinals and they're going to face Belgium, aren't they? So I think having that performance right before they meet Belgium um, is only going to benefit them. Um, I mean, they they haven't played the way I expected them to. I thought maybe they'd be a little bit sharper. Um, but at the end of the day, they get the job done. And I think that's something we can always say about Sweden is they figure out a way to get the job done. Um, so yeah, for me, they're still up there. They haven't, you know, had a standout like France or Germany or England, um, but for me, they're still up there as, as tournament favourites. I think it was really important to note as well that Sweden going into that game, I think they knew they were going to get that win, but they also had to get the goals in order to go through as the uh, as the first in that um, as go through as the first in that group, and that was such an important thing to have achieved because when you think about if they'd have scored one less, two less goals, they would have ended up facing France in the quarterfinals, and that is um, that's a different kettle of fish. Yeah, I, I personally think they'll they'll you know absolutely uh, absolutely push Belgium to the side. I think that'll be a fairly straightforward one-side quarterfinal. And they're back at their spiritual home of Lee Sports Village. So I think they're enjoying their time uh, on the outskirts of Manchester. And the fans are just loving life. They are such good energy. They've had the ABBA blasting as well at some of those games. Uh, it's been very good vibes. And I think Kosovari Ashlani has been one of the the players of the tournament for me. Um, I think that there was a lot of pressure going on on her in the world, uh, head of the World Cup. I think, you know, she was labelled at the World Cup as one of the, uh, you know, ones to watch, one of the players of the tournament. She was expected to have a big tournament. It's not like she had a bad tournament, but I don't think she set the, the, the World Cup alight. And I think this Euros, she has been immense. She does all the all the important things well and all the important things quite quietly and when she needs to turn on a bit of flair a bit of you know a bit of speed um she does and she does it with so much poise so much calmness um she is just such a good player and i think she provided three of the assists for those five goals the other day um she's had you know she's had a really good tournament and i've really enjoyed watching her yeah she's been excellent and even if she's not assisting if you look back on their goals 
she's been involved somewhere in that chain and she's generally the one that's either started the move or um, started the opportunity. So while she might not always get on the score sheet or the assist sheet, if you like, um, she's involved somehow and she's been huge for them, for Sweden. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that front three because I don't think Goodhardson has has, has really worked out what his favoured uh, front three is yet. He keeps kind of fiddling around with it, whether it's Rolfo, Blackstenius, Hurtig. We've also seen Canary play there as well. He's still kind of working it out. Um, and I don't know if the team really works playing with Blackstenius because they don't play the way that she wants to play, which is, you know, she needs balls into space in front of her. Ashlani can run the show in the, in the, in the centre of midfield. And I think she, you know, she plays better with Rolfo and Hurtig maybe than Blackstenius. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do going forward, but I do think that quarterfinal will be a fairly straightforward one. It's going to be the semi-finals where we'll maybe really see them tested like they were in that first group game against Netherlands. Uh, the other game in Group C, which was at Bramall Lane. It was absolutely rocking at Bramall Lane. Another record, 22,596 fans, which smashed the yet another non-host record at this tournament. Netherlands defeating Switzerland 4-1. Uh, it was a pretty... Um, tight affair and this scoreline doesn't reflect on how close this game was Rachel you were at Bramall Lane Switzerland like they came pretty close to causing an upset yeah um, they did I was watching it back there yesterday and, and I looked up and it was like the 89th minute or something and it was 2-1 and uh, I was like I could have sworn this game ended 4-1 <laughs> And then you realise that actually the last two goals were scored in a flurry right in the last, the dying seconds of the match. Um, very close. Switzerland really put it to the Dutch. I think they exploited the fact that their defence is their weakness. Um, yeah, R- Ramona Bachmann absolutely terrorising the defenders and Domsar had to pull out a number of big stops. She's been excellent. She's excellent. been unreal, hasn't she? Since, since, since she's been chucked in to replace Van Vienendal. 22, handful of caps to her name. And I think, I think that's it now. I think they found their number one. I don't see Van Vienendal coming back because she's always been a bit chaotic. And this girl, Dom Salah, is killing it. I would be shitting myself. If I was uh, <laughs> no. Van top. I would be making some kind of plans for something, you know, like a slip in the change room or something. Tonya Harding because, on her. Yeah, because Tom Salat has been smashing the shit out of this tournament. Like, I can't cope with watching this kid and the talent from her, the calmness, the composure when she's called into action. There are long periods of the game that she's not called into action. All of a sudden, she just pulls out an absolute bloody worldie. And, um, you know, there was a massive save from her in the first half, um, um, that was, I think, imperative in, in keeping the game at sort of more of an even kill because Backman was coming at it full throttle. But yeah, massive goalkeeper union shout out to Dom Salah because that kid, that's a she's a hero. She's been one of the uh, one of the faves for me in this tournament. They've unearthed a gem, that's for sure. Um, it's going to be tough though for uh, for Netherlands because of God. all the quarterfinals. Yeah. This is the spiciest one. This is the tough toughest one. Rachel, what, what sort of chance do you give them against France? I think uh, France will win this. Um, I think with France's forward line and wingers, the speed on the wings with Diani, with Cascarino up against that Dutch defence, it's going to be very, very tough. Um, they're going to want to hope Miedema is back, providing up front for them. They're going to need that. Maybe they'll take a Portugal approach and just think if we score more goals than you, um, we'll win. Uh, they'll probably look to try and exploit France in the second half because we've seen France haven't scored in the second half in this tournament. Um 
But yeah, they'll, they're going to want to try and keep the scoreline down in the first half, keep it in touching distance and try and, and, and get it back in the second. But it's going to be, like you say, very spicy quarterfinal. I think one of the ones I'm obviously looking forward to the England one, but one of the ones I'm looking forward to most. That is a big, big game. I think it's going to be a quite an even kill. Um, but I think I've got to agree with you, Rach, in the, the the approach of both teams. I think France are going to come out absolutely full throttle and get maybe some initial goals. But like you said, they do have a, prevent- a propensity to sit off in that second half. And I think that's where the Dutch are really going to step up. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got a FIFA-ranked team, fourth uh, with the Netherlands. You've got FIFA-ranked team, third with, with France. So this is, going to be, um, this is going to be a tasty little battle. But I, I agree. I think France might just walk away with it but it's going to be bloody tight. Yeah, uh, Rachel, you're right. I mean, it feels like so much rests on whether Viviana Miedemar is going to be back, recovered from COVID, because most players we've seen only be out for about five days or so. She missed this last game against Switzerland, which I think took a lot of people by surprise. It's obviously taking her a little bit longer to recover, but that could play a crucial part, because although she hasn't scored a goal in this tournament, she's been very important in the way that, that the Netherlands have been playing, Um and, you know, we know that she's a big, big game player as well. And as much as people like to say that, you know, where does Miedemar go in those big WSL games? I think it's, you know, it's, it's kind of fake news, really. Like she is someone who loves the big stage. And we know that the way that she's, the role that she plays has changed over the last year or so as well. She's dropping a little bit deeper and the Netherlands will need her because there are still some issues in that team defensively you know they've got a lot of gifted individuals but as a unit Parsons isn't quite getting the best at some of them some of those players are playing out position as well they're not they're not yet there yet so if they're gonna cause a massive upset they're gonna need players like Vivian Miedemar to step up and I also think Lika Martins is definitely playing with an injury she doesn't look fit she looks like she probably picked up a knock in that England warm-up game and at the moment you know she's running through mud to try and get the, these games through. So it, I think it's going to be a tough old task. Yeah, I think Miedema only really gets credit when she scores goals. Um, and when she's not scoring goals, apparently she's ghosting. But I think what we're seeing from Holland is when you take Miedema out of a team, the hole it leaves. She's not only about goal scoring, um, she does so much more in the pitch than putting the ball in the back of the net. And yeah, she hasn't scored in this tournament, but she's only played one game and it was a 1-1 draw. So, um, And she set up the goal. So, you know, I think... It's the presence. Um, we spoke about the fact that during that game, she kind of said, we need to switch Roard and Van der Donk. That's where we're going to have the impact. She said this at halftime and they did. And that was where the goal came from. So yeah, it's it's. I think you are seeing a bit of a hole with her not being in the team. Um, so I think they'll, they'll desperately need her back for this quarterfinal. Yeah, I think um, I definitely agree with that. She, she's definitely been a presence that's been missed. But I think, um, you know, in the group stages, I think I have seen those moments of brilliance from Van der Donk and especially mm. Rod as well. And they've really been impressive. So I think even if she's not back, I think she will be. But even if she's not back, I, I still trust that, you know, the Netherlands, that the, the front line um, are still going to go out and cause absolute havoc with, with, Fran- uh, with France. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, missed, but also still in safe hands. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Right, listener, we might have a falling out over this next section. Um, and I want to assure you that we're all friends here. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just sitting around the microphones, having a good chat, talking about football. And sometimes things get a little bit tense when people disagree on certain issues. But I want to assure you that no matter how spicy the next few minutes get, we will still remain friends because... Are your gloves off, Chloe? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. It's, it's, because, it's in. We're going in. In our, pre, in our pre-match chat for, before this pod, uh, there was a bit of a there was a bit of a dressing room fiasco because I believe that in Denmark's one 0 defeat to Spain, Denmark were crap, and Chloe and Rachel believed that in Denmark's one 0 defeat to Spain, Denmark were very good. So we don't want to get too feisty. Uh, about this one um but i'm gonna let the i'm gonna let rachel and chloe maybe lay down their case in the court of upfront first and then i will um have my reply on behalf of uh the defendants which is spain were just that bad rather than denmark being any good so let me let me hear your case I see. So as host, you get to decide who has the last words. That's interesting. Yeah. Isn't it? That's <laughs> yeah. how it works, mate. That's, oh, that's okay. Sorry. You don't. You don't work that out. We're doing this for how long, and you don't work that out yet. Come on. <laughs> Judge, juror, and sentence. Oh, I know. Okay, I see you. Yeah, yeah. And um, that was Denmark's best performance of the tournament. They got their tactics absolutely spot on. Their plan was to hold off Spain for 60, 70 minutes, and then throw everything at it to try and get a goal. Um, I know we all talk about harder carrying the team if you like but you know and she did have an excellent game um, she had quite a few chances she had set up quite a few chances but I thought the, the Danish defence and midfield were really really good their movement was excellent um, they chased down Spain for the whole 90 minutes I thought they were going to struggle a lot in the second half with Spain moving them around so much they had some young fullbacks cool in particular stood out for me um, I thought she was brilliant given the, the pace that Spain have uh, up front and I was really impressed you say Spain were bad yeah they were but Denmark didn't just stand still and let them run through them they had to put in tackles and blocks and, and prevent the chances and they did prevent the chances I think Spain only had about three shots um, and I think not giving credit to to the defence and to the team preventing that um, is short-sighted so I thought Denmark got their got the tactics spot on and unlucky that Nadim didn't get that goal near the end or uh, Harder didn't score those couple of chances she had. Over to you, Chloe. Take it away. Yeah, Rach. Go Tag on. Team. It's, like, it's like WWE here. Tag her in. <laughs> A little dig in there as well. Yeah, Flo, your short-sightedness. Go on. <laughs> I will start my case by saying that, yeah, do you know what? I'll concede on a few points that the possession stats, I mean, 25% of the game went to Denmark. That is pretty poor. But I think that was to be expected and they understood that actually they were going to get very few chances in that game. And when they did get chances, they were going to have to be bloody good ones. And to be fair, I feel like they really exposed the high Spanish backline. They were threading balls through. Harder was going on to them. And I think they were very, very lucky. I think Spain were very lucky that there wasn't a little bit more quality in that final third just to bed those chances because they had a few of them. 
And I think, obviously, the, the Danish uh, game plan seems to be to try and defend. I mean, every time uh, Spain had the ball up in their half, you could see them settle into very two, like, two solid banks of four there. And it made it very difficult as Spain, as a, you know, a team who love to just pass the ball into the back of the net, it, made, it frustrated them. I think it frustrated them. And I think it just goes to show with them only getting the goal, uh, you know, very, very late, very, very late into that game, just the hard work and passion that, that Denmark really, really showed on that pitch trying to minimise the chances and uh, and frustrate a, you know, a world-class side. So, yeah, Flo, take that. Go on. Well, you know, I, um, I, I, I take on board what you have to say, um, but I really just Gosh. have to disagree because... I think Spain, I think Denmark, sorry, were were so poor in, in the, the entire tournament. I had good expectations for them to challenge, to get out of this group as runners up, especially after the way that the Spain were impacted by injuries. I think Spain were lucky to get out of this group. I think they they ghosted their way out of this group. They were very jammy and they shouldn't be in the quarterfinals. Uh, but let's park the Spain chat there for now. I think Denmark were really poor in all of their games. They we're over-relied. talking about the Spain game. We're talking about the Spain game. Yeah, okay, come sorry. on. You can't just add in things this Spain in. game. Let me talk about the Spain game. I think they offered some chances at the start of the first half in the first ten minutes. I was very impressed with the way that they were trying to hit Spain on the break, uh, just like Finland did to Spain in that first group game. Uh, and they tried to find the space in behind Spain's high line. They found it a couple of times, wasted those chances. And then for me, apart from a few chances that I forgot about that Rachel did bring up in our pre-match chat that I respect, that Nadia D miss was huge. That was the moment in the second, second half. They offered so little. And I don't think it was because Denmark were organised. I don't think it was because they were well-structured. I think it was because Spain were that bad. I mean, Denmark, let's let Spain have 17 shots. Yeah, but Denmark also Chloe, had 10 you, shots. Chloe, you also, talked Preach, about, Chloe. you also talked about the possession, which I completely agree is going to be expected. But Denmark's pass accuracy was 58%. They were so sloppy with what ball they did have. It was effectively a rugby, a rugby game for them, which we know is how lots of teams opt to play against Spain because you need to be direct because you're not going to get time on the ball. So it's just a kick-it-long mentality. But they were sloppy. They were poor. They were slow. They weren't proactive. They weren't positive. In this game, and I think in their entire tournament, they were negative. They don't have enough, enough squad depth, which isn't necessarily their fault. They've got lots of young players who are being thrown into a tournament. I mean, they've got 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds playing in that in that team. I thought Christensen, their goalkeepers, had a good tournament. But overall, I was disappointed in this game. I thought it was a very boring game. Uh, and I was disappointed in their entire tournament. And it that definitely wasn't case. a boring day. Denmark it was won. such a boring yeah. game. I don't understand Denmark and Spain going head to head. It was one Spain of the worst guaranteed nah, to go I'm sorry. through. This in whole courtroom is out like, of order. This is one of the most boring games I watched in the entire tournament. And they only scored in the 90th minute because Denmark I'm held not them off. You, that. Like, only, only Italy, Belgium on what day of the week it is Monday night was worse Gosh. than this game. This is this was one of the most boring games I've watched. Denmark could have won it. I'm just that's my last point. Denmark yes, could have won it in the first 10 minutes, yeah. And they, and and they in the shit the bed. Half. And they shit mm. the bed. But it was still boring as hell. That's, it wasn't that, boring. Listen, was so let, her, many let her have it. Let her have it. We're not going to And they let, they let someone who's about five foot six score a header. That let, is bad I like, defending. I like Flo's thing about how they let them. You'd swear they all stood back and were like, please have 17 shots, see if any of them are on target. <laughs> I mean, that's effectively what they were doing. 
Oh god. They no, only Spain, I, I, Spain I, I, were I, poor. I retain the fact that they they only didn't lose by more because Spain were that bad. It was not about Denmark being good. It was about Spain being that bad. Yeah, and but I Spain refused, haven't been good at this I entire refused, tournament. I, yeah, I, just, I know. But that and, that and that shows just how bad Denmark were that they still let them win this, this game when Denmark had a huge opportunity to go through and they shit the bed. But I think I don't know where this conversation is going to go because it could have gone around in circles. I don't... What? Things okay, have happened to I'll tell you, no, I'll room. tell you what. I'll tell you what. The upfront listeners can be the jury on this one because we're going to have to get producer Charlie to a poll or something on Twitter because I know we're just going to go around in circles. Um, but I would really like to know what the listeners think about this one um, because the uh, prosecution <laughs> believes that Denmark were terrible. Uh, I thought but, you were the defence. Uh, I don't know. I'm something. No, you're the defense because you're Denmark and you lost. So you're okay. Because earlier you said you were the defense, but sure. Sorry, so the question okay. is: Was this Denmark's best game, or where was it? There, were they just absolutely awful? This game. We're not talking about the tournament. Just this game. No, I think the question should be, producer Charlie. Are we going to argue on the question? Did Denmark play well? Yeah. Did Denmark play well in that game against Spain? Right. Fine. Fine. I don't know whether I'm going to be on the next part. Jesus Christ. Right. Can we move on? We're going to have to move on. Yeah. Gonna be, speaking, I've got of, to, <laughs> speaking of Spain. I've got to check out my hotel. <laughs> Temperatures shortly, are flaring. So let's go. We're going to be here all night. Um, let's talk about England versus Spain. Quarterfinal, Wednesday night, back in Brighton. I don't think it's going to be as hot as it's been the last two days, which could be a good thing. We await whether Serena Wiegmann is going to be on the sidelines. I pray to the football gods that she is because I am that is my only concern to Arnold to Clark to, to Arnold Clark if you're up there my dear friend RIP we love you please <laughs> please shine some good vibes on us because I think England have their number I, I think you know we've seen we've we've been shouting on this podcast for 10 minutes about how Spain how bad Spain have been how bad Spain have been this tournament so I I really believe that England are are in a much better place right now. They are a better team. Um, I suppose the question is, is that if England do get frustrated, do they have what it takes to break down a team that is still good defensively, still well organised and is going to have a hell of a lot of the ball because England haven't played in a game yet where they haven't been the ones on the ball from the majority of the match. So that's what my concern would be, would be how they play with less ball possession. I wouldn't be as concerned about breaking down defences because they have played a lot of teams recently where they have to break down tough defences who have sat back to try and absorb them. So they have experience there. It's how switched on they stay. And I want to see them stay switched on for the full 90 like they did against Norway. And and like Denmark did, I thought. Um, where they stay switched on and they follow the ball. And they don't kind of... That's where Spain get you is the pass, the pass, the pass, the pass. You switch off for one second and they're through. Um, so that's going to be the big test for them is playing so much without the ball. Uh, so I've been thinking about this game quite a lot and I think it's going to be a massive challenge. I think um, the first few games that England have played this competition, I think we're expected to come out of them with good results. And they ha there has been a lot of good game management and a lot of um, problem solving as well in, in each of the games that we've played. We've faced various different challenges. And I think, um, you know, Spain are going to be really smart about this. They're going to have watched the games. They're going to have seen that, you know, for the first three games, we've not really come out of the blocks in the first five or ten minutes. And I think that's where Spain are really going to pounce. So I think it's going to be a case of trying to weather that storm and then going back to what we've been doing fantastically which is starting to play the ball making good use getting those possession stats up and starting to build the play so that's where I think things are going to go Molly Hudson of the Times wrote a really good article on how to beat Spain 
was basically be patient, break quickly and stop crosses. And I think starting quickly for England will be really, really important. Getting a couple of goals in the first half, I think, will massively help them. Um, and hopefully that's something they'll they'll look to do. Yeah, I suppose for me, the biggest fear is the old England that we know was a massive issue for what, like two years at least, is defending crosses and defending set pieces. And Spain's 4-1 win over Finland in that first game, they scored three headers. That game against Denmark, we've just been fighting about. <laughs> scored a header they were crap a very but short they, they were crap very, there were uh, so many whipped in chances that they just didn't take advantage of I felt that actually they were really poor with them with headers there didn't seem to be anyone who really wanted to make proper contact with the ball so I think it's going to be up in the air I know we have the beast that is Millie Bright in there and that gives me a whole load of confidence but we we haven't seen England tested like this under the kosh at set pieces for a while uh, we saw them concede a poor corner against the Netherlands in that warm-up game. And that is, it does worry me a little bit. Mappy Leon is one of the best deliverers mm-hmm. of the ball from yeah, out wide or from a corner. And it, that's that's the only thing that makes me nervous. I am so confident about this game, and I'm sure I've said it on so many different podcasts and shows, and it will be clipped up if England lose, because I'm so, so confident. Because... They have shown me enough to, to give me that confidence, to, to give me the expectation that they're going to win this game. And and Spain are in, in disarray at the moment. Um, I don't think their coach is very good. I don't think their coach is getting their best out of these players. And I think they're going to struggle to break down England. But it's just going to be, you know, say Spain get a late corner, the game's nil-nil. Can England stay switched on in the heat, in the pressure of a home fan, the tension? If they don't get that early goal, Rachel, like you said, the tension you know, the pressure, it could get to them. And that's what worries me. But I I just hope that Serena's there to guide them through it on the sidelines. I think England played a better Spain in the Arnold Clark Cup um, and set up well and managed them well. So that's what kind of gives me confidence because they didn't they create had... very much in that game, though. That's the only no, thing. No, but Spain but I, had I your Hermoso you. and your Pateas and um, England were able to, to handle that. So that's what kind of gives me confidence. But... I don't want to be led astray by Spain's recent performances either. I do also kind of think Spain could come out red hot and just flip a switch and maybe he'll play a striker. Um, So, yeah, I don't want to get overly confident, but I do think from what England have shown versus what Spain have shown, I do think England can take them. And I would say as well, uh, uh, what worries me, Athenia del Castillo, who Mm -hmm. hasn't started as much in this tournament, but got, um, player of the tournament the Arnold Clark Cup and that was one that kind of really kind of put her on the map in terms of international football she was all over Lucy Bronze in that game Bronze was all over the shop Castillo was was going right past her and Bronze looked knackered she looked like you know she couldn't handle it and that worries me a little bit because that was nervous watching that matchup and um no one knows what Jorge Vilda is going to do. And every single time the logical decision seems to be there, he goes the opposite direction. So I'm kind of hoping for that again, because he doesn't seem to make what seem to be obvious changes with his team, especially off the back of a pretty diabolical game against Denmark. So, yeah, um, I don't know. I've got everything crossed. I'm starting to feel a little bit sick. I'm starting to feel a little bit nervous. <laughs> but I just need to remember that England are a very good team. Um, and as much as tournament football throws up some some crazy things I think we have to trust in this team and trust in Serena Wigman 
and the confidence is so damn high in that group at the moment. I think I just hope that even if things don't go their way early in this game, they channel that confidence and know and have that belief that, you know, they'll get a breakthrough because the belief is going to be so important, Chloe, right? Yeah, massively. And I think there is so much confidence and rightly so, because this is the strongest England side that we've seen in a really, really long time. And I think um, even if things aren't going our way, what we've seen in the last few games is that we have been frustrated by how teams have set up, but we've actually problem solved and, and managed those really effectively. So I'm expecting the same thing. And if things really aren't going our way, then it, it feels like there's a, a perfect opportunity in the second half to make those substitutions. We've already seen what an impact some of those subs have had, the kind of passion that we've seen coming off the bench from, you know, Russo, Greenwood, um, you know, putting an absolute shift to kind of inject some energy into the game. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Sold out Brighton Stadium Wednesday night under the lights. I cannot wait. It's going to be so, so exciting. And of course, we're going to be joining you guys on Thursday morning on the Ramble feed to talk about how that result went. Um, I'll either be crying or I'll be, um, you know, screaming with joy or both. Uh, depending what happens in that result. So thank you as always for listening to Upfront. If you've got any questions, you can tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet, at Girls on the Ball or at Morgie underscore 89. We'll be here again on Thursday, like I said, for that roundup of the quarterfinal against Spain. See you then. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.